If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inks, The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel, and this week, I'm excited for you to meet Grant LaFontaine, co-founder and CEO of WhatNot a live shopping marketplace that enables anyone to turn their passion into a business and brings people together through commerce. Grant is a longtime collector who began buying and selling collectibles online at the age of nine. He was inspired to found WhatNot with the friend and co-founder Logan Head in 2019 to make it fun and easy for buyers and sellers to connect and transact online. Since then, WhatNot has become one of the fastest growing marketplaces in the United States, was most recently valued at $3.7 billion. WhatNot has partnered with well-known collectors, including Post Malone, Former NFL linebacker Blake Martinez has made more than 5 million selling Pokemon cards on WhatNot. Prior to co-founding WhatNot, Grant held product market roles at YouTube, Facebook, and co-founded Kit, which was later acquired by Patreon. Grant earned a BA in economics from Cornell University. And with that, let's welcome Grant. Hi, Grant. So excited to have you today. Let's keep it simple. Let's start from the basics. What's WhatNot, in your own words, and tell us the founding origins and the big aha moment. Sure. So uh, Whatnot's a live stream shopping platform, an online marketplace. You can almost think about it as like Twitch meets eBay for lack of a better analog. We started Whatnot in December 2019. And when we initially started Whatnot, we actually had no idea what we were going to build. It was me and my co-founder, Logan. And, you know, we had both started businesses before. And we'd only started stuff in kind of consumer. And if you look at most of the really great consumer companies... In software, at least, the starting place and the ending place is typically very different. It's very hard to predict exactly what consumer case will be. And so knowing this, we weren't really tied to any particular idea. We kind of just agreed on a couple set of principles for how we we're going to operate. So we said we were going to be incredibly customer-centric and not vision-driven. If you know that the starting place and the ending place are very different, then whatever you think is going to work actually probably isn't. And so instead of being beholden to the beautiful idea you have in your head, it's listen to your customers and adapt it based on what their problems and needs are. So that was one. Two was we're going to move very, very fast. One of the beautiful bits of software is you can do a lot with very little and you can do it in a very small amount of time, particularly in the early days when you're trying to prove out whether something works. You don't have to build it scalably and so on. And then we're going to take big swings. We're going to do a venture-funded business. Uh, If you're starting a venture-funded business, you kind of need to have a story for how it's going to be worth a billion dollars. Otherwise, it's not really worth anyone investing in the thing. And if you're going to try and create a billion-dollar business, you're either creating a wholly new market or you're going to try and upset a multi-billion dollar incumbent and you aren't going to do that with small things. That was principles. And then we agreed we were going to do a marketplace because we had spent most of our careers working on online marketplaces or two-sided platforms. 
Can you walk us through the user experience? What is it like to buy and sell something? And give an example of the certain types of transactions that are quintessentially what not purchases. You'll go into the app store, you'll download the app, you'll create an account as if you were creating like a social media account on Instagram. And you'll select a few things like what you're interested in. Are you into sneakers? Are you into women's fashion? Are you into collectibles? And then you'll see a feed of live streams uh, that are populated for you based on your interests. You'll tap into one of those live streams and say it's a show on sneakers. And you'll see a seller who is you know, selling sneakers. Think about them as like a local sneaker shop. But instead of being on Main Street, they're coming at you live from a warehouse, their shop, their home. And they'll have a bunch of inventory that they're selling. And you'll be able to talk to them, interact with them, and buy a pair of sneakers. In terms of what is the main item and transaction type, it really does range. We sell things from sneakers to collectibles to women's fashion to plants. One of the early formats that did really take off on whatnot and is still one of the biggest things in the platform are card openings. And you can go on whatnot, you know, tap into the Pokemon category and buy a pack of cards and have it opened up live in front of you with hundreds of other people watching. Community has such a big part, what makes WhatNot so special. But how did you get your first creators? How did you build that flywheel? First thing, we started very small. And so, you know, if you're building a marketplace platform, really any product, you want to provide a lot of value to a particular consumer. And in order to do that, when you're starting off, and, you know, our early team was four people, can't boil the ocean, you can solve everyone's problem. So what we did was we picked one collector type, which was we picked Funko Pop collectors. And we just built a marketplace just for Funko Pop collectors. So for the entire first year of whatnot, all you could do was buy and sell Funko Pops. We actually didn't start with live. We started with our asynchronous product that we still have today, which is, you know, call it very similar to more traditional marketplaces, whether it's Facebook Marketplace or eBay. And we built what we think was the best experience to buy and sell Funko Pops online. And we built a really large base of buyers and sellers through that. And then we added on live after the fact. We didn't know if it was going to work. So I went live first. Within two hours, I sold $5,000 worth of Funko Pops. Wow. Because we had a large buyer and seller base already, everyone saw, one, how much fun it was. And then sellers, of course, saw how much money I had made. And so we had just a long list of people who really wanted to use it. Let's talk, Grant, a little bit about through the pandemic. How do you feel that it shifted whatnot and what stuck? I don't entirely know, at least from the lens of whatnot. When you do the step back and you look at most of the other, um, call it say e-commerce companies during COVID or something similar, what you typically see is like a huge blip, like crazy, you know, huge surge in sales and then a, a flattening out. And for us, and, and even to this day, we've still seen pretty wild growth. And so I'm sure that it impacted us in some capacity by pulling forward some behavior and just making people online more. But it's hard for us to know because, you know, we started our business in December 2019, COVID hit March 2020. And so our business is only ever built during COVID. So we don't know anything else. We don't have the pre-post. We just have like what it is today when you reflect on COVID. And what it really did was it just sped things up in time, took the trends that were already there, which is shopping is going to continue to move online as are a lot of other things. And it sped some of those up a couple of years. Can you talk a little bit about the lessons you've learned? What is your playbook? What would you tell us? What would you teach us? So I think there's certain tenants in the early days. And, and I think probably the less, you know, the bigger lessons learned are like the later days lessons. So when starting out, pick a very small market. 
you have very limited resources and starting a marketplace is very hard. You have to solve all of the sides of the marketplace, depending on what type of marketplace you are. So in our case, it's buyers and sellers. We were lucky that we chose to pick one small segment. We picked Funkos. Investors didn't love us, but it was the right foundation in which to build from. Two, you need a clear plan for how you're going to bootstrap it. We basically double bootstrapped our marketplace, which was we pulled listings from across the internet and sold them on whatnot. And then when sellers would list on whatnot, we pushed it out across the internet and cross-listed on other marketplaces, which enabled us to have as deep a selection and better sell through than any individual marketplace And when we were just Funkos. It was very hard to do and very manual. Another reason why you need to focus deeply. Those two are probably the, the basics. And then the third I would say is like, for a venture scale company, you're not going to get there by making something that's sort of like what already exists in the world. You do need to solve like a net new problem and it does need to be like a real thing. I think in like they're actually in the early days, it's probably a mistake of ours. Our initial V0 product of whatnot was too derivative of other marketplaces. It wasn't anything differentiated enough that was going to excite the world. And that's actually why we ended up building live. We could see a bunch of our collectible sellers and buyers engaging with live streams across the internet, but the kind of infrastructure for e-commerce around it was very clunky. So I think those are the three things, you know, I, I think about being critical to getting an early marketplace, particularly a venture scale one. When you think about your competitors, who's even in the realm? How do you even think about who you put in your competitor subset? There are companies like the other one we'll maybe look at now is TikTok is very large with social commerce in, in Asia, and they're trying to bring it over to the U.S. So that's probably the one we will pay attention to the most. The types of people that do a great job selling on whatnot, what do the best sellers look like? I don't mean physically. I mean, where are they coming from? Why? What are they doing that's so engaging? I think there's two characteristics that make a really great seller. Characteristic one is they have immense knowledge and are very passionate about the things that they're selling. One of the reasons why I say like QVC and those things has, has never like taken over is like no one's looking to be sold to. People, at least in our generation and people younger, I think it's like they want really authentic people. They don't want someone who's just showing them something. And so the sellers on whatnot who do very well are incredibly knowledgeable about what they do. And then two, they're incredibly resourceful entrepreneurs, actually. They're people who want to create a great business, are excited to create a big business, and are incredibly motivated. So one of the things for us has always been, it's been very difficult to see who's actually going to be the most successful because the biggest drivers of it is, do they want to be successful? What they are doing is they are creating whole new businesses in a whole new format. A lot of it is just the drive to succeed. And these aren't small, you're not, you know, you're not talking small businesses. Like I think our biggest sellers have 50 to 100 person operations. What do you think has to happen for that to become the case? Why is this thesis that that's becoming the mainstream way to shop? And tell us any other predictions that you see coming down the pike. What needs to happen? I think just more people need to try it in a category or with the seller that they care about. And I think as soon as that happens, people get it, they like it, and they're engaged with it. You know, honestly, I just think it's a matter of time for as, you know, we continue and other people continue to invest in the space and people get more accustomed to it. You know, I think the reason why it's really great is it has all of the best characteristics of shopping in person, being able to talk with people, be able to get context on things, be able to see the things with a lot of the best characteristics of the internet. I can do it from my couch. I can do it anytime. I can get things from across the world. And so I think that the combination of being able to kind of combine in-person retail with 
all of the convenience and functionality that you can build in a digital world is what makes the experience magical. And, you know, I've seen few people who, when they don't find a category or a seller they like on whatnot, don't instantly get it and go, yes, I can see how I'm going to use this all the time and it's going to be a thing in the future. How do you think about AI entering the category? If you think about the very discrete ways that you think AI will improve your business or any version of e-commerce, what would those be? I'd say like the analog to me is like what cloud was, I don't know, was I think a decade ago now, where everyone's like cloud, it's the thing. And and then like, that's the future. And what it ends up looking like is it's just a thing that gets integrated everywhere. It disappears and just powers a bunch of use cases and powers them in a much better way. And, you know, I think like AI, it's just a set of infrastructure that you're going to apply to just about everything. I think where we see it today, just very tactically, huge benefits on trust and safety. We can't have human moderators on every minute of every stream, but AI effectively gives you human level context. And so you can apply some of the the models out there and you can look over the chat and it can go, actually, this person's talking about something really bad. Let's get rid of them. That's a really easy use case. One of the things, you know, another area is every business needs to market themselves. And with all of the new AI tools, you can actually much more efficiently create a lot of marketing assets, clean them up better. So for us, we have like a lot of listings in our catalog, but even the images aren't great. And if you're going to project your brand out in the world, you want it to be quality and, and show something great. So we can actually like clean all of those things up. Discovery. Use a lot in search now. A lot of some of the old techniques for how you're figuring out all of the ways that someone can misspell the word. Actually, you can like plug that into an LLM first. What are all of the ways to spell Pokemon cards across the internet that people have misspelled that are popular? And you get the whole list and we can feed that into our search systems. And a huge number of people just across whatnot are engineers to even our marketing people are just using chat GPT to make them more efficient. I'd say just like there are tons of use cases. To me, it just looks like an infrastructure layer that's going to kind of pop up everywhere. It looks a lot more like cloud. And you could pretty much guarantee it's going to be ubiquitous, but probably ubiquitous in a way where you don't recognize it as AI, just like the way things work. Any other big predictions, Grant, over the next five to 10 years that you just see as almost maybe obvious that you can pay it forward to everybody? The way we get things right or we get things wrong is just staying really close to what problems technology can solve and where people have problems. You know, I even said at the beginning of this, it's like we didn't know where whatnot was going to be. We didn't have a crystal ball like, oh, live shopping is going to be the, the thing. Now we just kind of go, if you, if you stay close to what technology can do and you stay close to what consumers need, you can build things and then get really good signal on what people need and, and problem areas and then continue to apply it. And because a lot of people actually don't do that, because you know you kind of read the headlines and you interpret the headlines as opposed to going deep. I think maybe some things can be interpreted as a crystal ball. So I think I'm obviously biased. Things like live and social shopping are going to be huge in the next five to ten years. When you look at things like LLMs and you know the AI, the AI kind of use cases that we just talked about, you know almost every person at whatnot's now using it in some capacity. So it's not as if it's a crystal ball prediction that AI is going to make everyone way more efficient. It's just it's happening today and like the missing piece is actually just more people are going to start to understand that. And because people don't like change and it's hard for them to shift away from what they're doing, the next five or 10 years is going to be about people getting used to it as opposed to like anything magical happening. I think those are two things that are very clearly going to happen. It's not going to happen because I have a crystal ball. It's just going to happen because it's like you can see the value that they're providing 
with a small number of people today. And you can see that there are millions and millions more people who will get similar, if not greater value from those things. And as people adopt them, they're going to go mainstream. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Grant, I want to go back to you. Can you think about anything that happened in your childhood that set you up? I always say, was there something your parents did that helped make you successful or stand out? I don't know if it was my parents or me, you know, a little bit of both. I think the thing that's always been true of me is I've always hated authority and, and have gotten used to operating very autonomously without many kind of structured rails. You know, for better and for worse, my parents didn't provide me a lot of structure. As a function of that, I've gotten used to always just figuring out what I need to figure out, doing it on my own and, and charting my own path. When I was in sixth grade, I decided I didn't like school anymore. And I literally just didn't show up for like 60 days. I just changed all of my report cards uh, so my parents couldn't catch me. This was bad. The only reason they ended up catching me, my parents were getting divorced at the time. And my mom went to the school to get the real report cards. Um, and, you know, I was able to get away from that because my parents didn't provide me a lot of structure. Again, there's, there's some bad that comes with that. The good that comes with that is you just get used to operating in a world where, you know, the path isn't clearly laid and you just like do the things and figure it out on your own. When you are starting a company, no one's going to be able to solve your problems or tell you what to do. You do have to kind of approach it in an independent minded sort of way. So I would say that's probably the thing that just, it got the training wheels off of me earlier. Uh, I was always a little bit one because I maybe wasn't the best. I wasn't a terrible kid, but you know, those aren't the best things to do, but they do have value later on. What do you think are some of the most important skill sets for an entrepreneur to have? You know, I, I think the thing is you need a lot. <laughs> Not to say like I'm the most amazing at all of the things. As someone who starts their own company, you do have to do lots of different things to get it going. You, you end up being more of a jack of all trades than anything else. And I think some of this is industry dependent. You know, I like to tell people in my entire career, I've only really ever worked in consumer technology. And so the things that I can tell you are very much informed by that experience. So certainly like in consumer technology, you need to be risk-taking. You need to be creative. Consumers are not going to tell you exactly what they want. They'll like tell you some of the problems, but you actually have to be able to like creative, try new things. If you have to make quick decisions, you have to be able to like assess talent really well. Yep. So this is probably one of the more underrated things. Even in the early days, you're almost certainly not going to do it yourself. And probably the single most critical decision you can make is who you do it with. Yep. And you need to have an incredibly high bar for the person that you do it with because you, you two or three or whoever many, you know, are fighting against, uh, you know, huge, huge incumbents. So you need like really good people around you. And then that skill, if you're going to scale your company, still becomes more important. And then you're, you just want to have the hunger and curiosity to when you don't have the skill be able to figure it out very, very, very fast. 
It's not like I didn't have a lot of the skills that I have today, but you do then need to have the comfort and confidence to go, actually, I'm just going to go and learn it and close the gap. One of the most important skill sets of being a really great entrepreneur is the confidence to figure things out. Where do you think that comes from? Like just in plain English, like where does that come from? So I would say, I think there are very few skills in the world that can't be learned. And I think most people are capable of learning most skills. And so the confidence to solve novel problems comes from solving novel problems over an extended period of time. And you get two things from that. One, you start to see the patterns and systems and processes to solve them. It's like anytime today, every month or two, there's something that blows up at whatnot. And my system for then figuring out how to solve it is basically the same. It's literally just taking the same system and just like putting a framework around it and then driving at it really hard. And then confidence comes from, no one has confidence in it. Like, well, there's some people who have confidence when they've never done anything before and all the power to that. I wasn't that person. But confidence comes from continuing to apply yourself at something until you get good enough to know that. When I do this thing, there's going to be a high level of probability I do it well. Putting it back to, you know, the question you asked me, what was your parents do when you were younger? Because I didn't have many guardrails around what I should be doing, where I should be going with my life and all of those things, I had to figure out a lot of those things and through trial and error, get better at solving problems and building the confidence around it. And so I think if I didn't have those experiences, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. I want to talk a little bit about how you manage stress. How do you handle stress? First off, sleep and exercise. You know, early in my career, maybe I managed stress worse, but you know, what am I now? 35? I've been working for a while. And you know, as with all things, the more you do things, the better you you get at them. When I was younger, yeah, I'd work till two in the morning and be unhealthy. But the reality is, uh, you know, if you're building a company, it is a marathon. It's not a race. And so you do need to do things that kind of keep you level and perform it through time. And the two best things are like, I am probably naturally a high anxiety person, as I'm sure many achievers are. I think that's part of what drives you. Exercise keeps me level, keeps me from getting too much anxiety. So always do that. Sleep, it's hard to, to make sure you're doing the right thing if you don't sleep very well. So those are just the basics. And then, you know, you always just try and put things into perspective. Sometimes I do this better than others. You know, as much stresses are on, on my shoulders, and, you know, a lot of people who work here, we've accomplished a lot. And so we should feel good about what we've done. And the anxiety and stress, a little bit of it probably helps you. But if you let it take control, then it really limits your ability to make good decisions. And so you just have to go, look, we've done a lot. We obviously have a lot more that we want to do. I can't control all the things in the world, so I can control the inputs that I put in. So I'm going to spend all of my time on that and try to drain out all of the other things. So sleep, exercise, just focus on the things that I can control. Who do you look to to learn? Where are you getting your insights on how the creator space is evolving? Because it's a big space. It's in so much interest. How do you stay fresh and learn? Where's that coming from? I'd split this up in a couple different ways. First is like how the product and business evolves. And fundamentally, that's just staying very close to our consumers. And then as a team, focusing in on where we can solve their problems the best way possible. And so a lot of that's talking to our customers, looking at the data, and then getting into a room with our product team designers and and building something great. Because our industry is very new in the US, there aren't a lot of places you go where you're like, yes, this is going to solve the problem. And if you look at a lot of the other people who have tried to bring live stream shopping and all of that to the world, I think one of their big mistakes has been they've looked at other people and tried to copy it. 
And when you do that, you don't really solve problems for people. You might, but you're only doing that if you're a little bit lucky. So just stay focused on what matters. And then there's a lot around the thing that is novel and really new for me, but where I can look to people for things is like how to scale a company. You know, whatnot's almost 500 people now. It's the biggest company that I've run. But there have been a lot of people who have run companies like this. And so I always just try and find out who the people are who have dealt with some of these challenges and get in directly contact with them to learn from them. If someone solved the problem and solved it well, try and find that person and talk to them and learn from them in places where the problem hasn't been really solved as much. Say like a lot of the stuff that we're doing in in the US and, and commerce, then you just approach it from first principles and start from the consumer problems and work backwards. I'm going to go to the quick fire round. First thing that comes to your mind, let me know. What is a book that's had a massive impact on your life, Grant? I just really like sci-fi books. So the Foundation series, Dune, they help you think about what the future could look like uh, in an incredibly creative way. As I said earlier, I think one of the key things for consumer startups is you have to just be creative. What is a quote that after everything you've been through in business feels like it's almost like burned into your soul, something you live by? Only the paranoid survive. When you think about a question you like to ask people when you're getting to know them or interviewing them, whether or not you know, they're a good fit to work with you, Grant, what do you like to ask? The thing that we probably care most about here is just culture and making sure the people we're bringing are really values aligned for how we think about the world and how we think uh, companies should operate. And so I, I often ask, reflecting on the places you've worked, what are a couple of things from the culture you'd like to bring with you and a couple of things that you'd like to leave behind and add details and explain? When you think about your biggest pinch me moment to date, so a moment that's happened at whatnot, or in your career, it can be anything, that you just were like, I can't believe that just happened. What happened? It's probably the first live show we had at whatnot where I sold so many items in such a short period of time. We didn't really know what live, how big live shopping could be or looked like in other parts of the world at that point. We just ended the stream. We're like, wow, this feels like it's something special. That's cool. Yeah, I can imagine you got off and you're like, what just happened? How did that happen? Last question would be, is there a startup or another product? It can be anything that you are excited by. It can be a different category, same category, a product that you sold on whatnot um, that you just want to give a shout out to. This is bad. I mean, I spend so much of my time, day and energy just thinking about whatnot. There's not much else that like permeates my brain or mind at the moment. I love that. That's, that in itself is an answer, by the way. <laughs> Literally, so that's all it is in my mind. Basically, every waking hour is whatnot. You're like, I can't spare an extra brain cell here. Well, first of all, Grant, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you want to check out Whatnot, check out whatnot.com. You can join us next week for Ink the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. Grant, we're rooting for you. What an incredibly cool and exciting platform that you're building. And it is really fun to think about how the future is going to look because of companies like Whatnot. Good luck with everything. Way to go. You had a great last few years. We're excited to see what the next few bring. Thank you. Thank you for having me.